Do not touch that dial. You are tuned to Radio Free America, the resolute, proactive, and powerful source of information for liberty-loving patriots committed to restoring our constitutional republic and living a free and empowered life. With your host, Bill Parsons. Hey, Patriots, welcome to Radio Free America. My name is Bill Parsons. I will be flying solo today. Bill will be back with me on Wednesday. We're going to discuss some economic stuff. I mean, just looking at where we're at, I think most people just don't grasp the fact that if we don't start slashing the budget of the federal government, I mean, now we're going to suffer repercussions that we can't even imagine. I think we're talking Dust Bowl depression era stuff. And in many cases, probably a lot worse than that, because in the thirties, things were a lot different than they are now. We weren't carrying this massive debt that we're carrying. The dollar wasn't being destroyed by our own government and people outside of it, because we're, we're currently the reserve currency for the world, which gives us the ability to borrow these trillions of dollars and keep the debt interest as low as it is. We're spending now about a trillion dollars every three months, our debt, right? The interest on our national debt is more than what we spend on our military. So when Bill's on Wednesday, we're going to talk about that. Today, I want to talk about a couple other things. The first thing I want to talk about is your property rights. Virtually in every state, your property rights have been stripped away from you. The Epic Times just did a great story on this. I will link to the story in this podcast. And The way the government looks at our Fourth Amendment rights, our rights to property, is very different than the way our founders looked at it. Our founders looked at our property rights as tantamount, as paramount, as as those that the Bill of Rights was designed, you know, for very specific reasons, right? And they because they wanted to enumerate those rights. Now, they were already sort of built into the Constitution, but the the founders, you know, they were so afraid of an overreaching federal government. And they, these, it's just how brilliant these men were. They could see so far into the future because in a way they were looking into the future, but in a way they were looking into men's hearts because they know that men are wicked. They know that we are selfish, that we have egos, that power corrupts. You know, and they had dealt with that with the British crown. And they knew that if they didn't put these safeguards in, in the form of a Bill of Rights, that the government would begin to usurp these rights over a period of time as the, as the, as the federal centralized government grew and grew and grew into the, you know, the, the multi-headed Leviathan that it currently is. So they knew what was coming. And they tried to build in these safeguards. And if we were actually following the law in this country, which we no longer do, the law is gone. In most of this country, the law is gone. The other thing we have to accept is good pieces of this country, large swaths of this country are no longer part of America in a sense. You know, California, Washington, Oregon, Illinois, all of the East Coast, New York, Almost every major metropolitan city is run by Democrats, and the word Democrat now means communist. There's no separation between the two. That's what it means. 
if you are a Democrat and you support Democrat policies, you are now a communist. There is no separation between the two. The Democrat Party in this country is the Communist Party of America. That's what they are. Whether we like it or not, whether that makes you uncomfortable or not, that's the reality. We now exist in a semi-quasi-fascist communist country. And in large parts of the, the nation, the states I mentioned and several others, they are totally under this control. So when it comes to your right, your, your fourth amendment rights, your rights to persons, you know, to be secure in your property and your possessions in your person, right? Our founders looked at our rights that the, you know, if you were to ask a founder, if you were to ask me as a Christian, who owns me, who owns my stuff? Well, God does because God created everything. I'm beholden to him. He created everything, the earth, us, the fact that I have ideas and creativity, which are possessions, by the way, right? They're my possessions, right? If you've ever watched the movie Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, he talks about no person has the right to my creativity, my ideas, my energy. No government has the right. And when I go to the accountant and drop off my paperwork, like I did today, and we're looking at numbers, and basically what it comes down to is the first five or six months of the year, I'm working to pay the government. They're taking essentially, at the federal level, half of my money. That doesn't include this, what the state takes. That doesn't include what I pay in sales tax and in property tax and all the ways the same dollar is taxed. And what it comes down to is they're literally stealing my energy, my creativity, my ideas, my hard work, not just the stuff that I own, right? My property, my homes, right? My vehicles, my dog, those are my, that's property. That's tangible physical property. But I also have the right to be secure in my ideas and my creativity, my thoughts, what I create, because it all starts in the mind. And God was the master creator and he created us in his image to be creators. So our creativity, our ideas, our ingenuity, right? Our hard work, right? All of those things are property. And that's how the founders looked at that. Those were, that's my property. I own the intellectual rights to that idea, to my work, to my energy, to my creativity, to the times, the many times I've tried to build something and it's failed. And I've learned from each of those experiences. That's all, I own all of that. And God owns me, so he owns it all. The founders looked at it very differently. Our government now looks at that Everything is theirs. If you even looks at, look at the way the tax code is written, and we'll talk about this with Bill Mason on Wednesday, they essentially look at your money, your creativity, your property, your possessions as theirs. And they're allowing you, graciously, by the way, to keep a portion of that. And as the economic situation gets more and more unstable, we are getting de-dollared. The dollar is no longer going to be the reserve currency. As this thing starts to collapse and they raise interest rates and print more money, the taxation on you is going to get worse and worse and worse. So they're just stealing more of your property, your ideas, your creativity. And over time, just like in all communist systems, anyone who has the desire to start a business, to create an idea, to make a product, to create a service is going to throw their hands up and go, wait a minute, why would I put this amount of energy, effort, capital, 
time, creativity, failures, setbacks, sleepless nights, into building anything when I don't get to keep any portion of it or I get to keep a very small portion of it, that some communist is going to argue that, well, private property, including your thoughts, your ideas, your creativity, all of those ephemeral things we can't touch, but they are still possessions. They're still property and they're my property, just like your ideas are your property. Your creativity is your property. At what point do people who are creative and want to make the world a better place and provide a service or a product or bring an idea to the market or their art to the market, do they throw their hands up and go, why would I do that? Why would I take the risk of failure, of losing money, of ruining my financial position as weak as it might already be? I'm not going to take that kind of a risk, even if it's fairly calculated, so that some Democrat some communist, some bureaucrat, some some gray man can come in and steal it from me and tell me that's the way it works, that I have to render unto Caesar, right? That which is not Caesar's. And so the whole idea of property rights has been kind of flipped on its head. If you look at the Noah Webster dictionary from like 1850, <clears throat> which would have been, you know, it's close to probably what we can get with the founders thinking about. There's all, there's lots of writings about what they thought about the Fourth Amendment and property rights. I mean, they, those were super, super important to them, right? The First Amendment, the right to speech and together and religion. Second Amendment, the right to own and bear arms. It's pretty clear. It's like one line long. But somehow we have justices, attorneys, Supreme Court justices, federal judges who somehow see in that one line, well, the founders didn't intend this. Well, if you read any of the other writings, the Federalist Papers, the Anti-Federalist Papers, and by the way, the Anti-Federalists were right, right? They knew, they really were against centralized government. These rights were, 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 were broken out Right and specifically listed because they they were so important that the founders wanted to be very clear. The founding fathers wanted to be very clear that these rights are retained by the people and that the Constitution and the Bill of Rights were designed to bind government down with the chains of these two documents and the consent of the people. And our property rights are critically important because they tie to everything else. And if you look in not only at the federal level, but at the state level, our property rights have essentially been stolen from us. So I will link to the article in the Epic Times that talks about this. It's a great article. I would encourage you, if you don't have a subscription to the Epic Times, get one. It is the greatest newspaper in the world. You're going to get the best reporting you're going to get the most factual reporting, the most accurate reporting, and it's just a well-run newspaper. I mean, it's just a great, great newspaper. I use it all the time for sources and documents, and it leads me to other places and gives me ideas because it's it, there's so much going on in our culture, in our world, in this country, 
with the open border and crime and central bank digital currency and the theft of our constitutional rights and voter fraud and just the crim- just the absolute rot and criminalization. And Washington, D.C. is not a swamp. It's a gutter, right? A swamp is an ecosystem. It's a gutter where nothing but filth flows through it. And virtually all, every single person up there is corrupt either by something they have done and they're being blackmailed or they're being bribed or some combination of the two. But all of our senators, all of our representatives, everybody in the federal government is owned by somebody, unfortunately. Politicians in the political world, to be a politician was never designed to be a full-time job. You were supposed to go there a couple months out of the year, legislate, do what needed to be done within the within the boundaries of our founding documents, and then go home and work on your farm or run your business or whatever it is you did to make a living. But being a politician was not a what's not a way to make a living. Now we have politicians going in and making one hundred seventy four thousand dollars a year, which is not a lot of money, and coming out multimillionaires. Right, owning multiple homes, eight, nine, ten figures in their bank account. That's not possible. That's not possible. I make more than that, and I damn sure don't have I don't have eight figures in my bank account. Because it's impossible to amass that level of wealth making $175,000 a year, <clears throat> unless you're doing some serious investing in real estate and property and maybe stocks and bonds and maybe in the commodities market and it all works out and you're doing this over a period of 30, 40, 50 years, maybe. But these people are in their 30s, 40s, coming into Congress in two or three years, making $174,000, somehow are worth millions. Tell me how AOC, who makes $174,000 a year, been in Congress three or four years, is a millionaire now. Living in D.C., paying apartment prices in D.C., eating in D.C., paying the, what it costs to live in D.C., one of the most expensive cities in the world, but it's the most corrupt city in the world. We are now the center of evil in the universe. It pains me greatly to say that because I'm the kind of person that when the American flag flies, I feel pride. When they play the national anthem, it brings tears to my eyes because I know what that flag stands for. I know what this country used to stand for, and it's all gone. It's been stolen. It's been sold. It's been bartered. It's gone. And you and I, as patriots, true believers in the American ideal, it's our job to bring it back. And I don't think we can do that from the federal level. We have got to start at the grassroots level, county by county, city by city, town by town, village by village. We have to run for office. We have to get off our asses and primary candidates at the federal level and state level that are not doing what they promise us to do. Right? The one thing you can bet on with Democrats, communists, they're going to get up there and tell you, this is what we're going to do. They make a bunch of promises and they do what they promise. Now, all of it is the antithesis of what America stands for. They're communists. They want to destroy everything in their wake. That's what communism does. Communism builds nothing. It destroys everything. With some ridiculous utopian idea, they're going to rebuild a better world by creating a better environment. This whole nature versus nurture idea. Of course, they don't build anything 
because they have no capacity to. They don't understand any of it. Most of them never had a real job in their entire lives. Our governor here has been a state senator. You know, he's been at the he's been a senator at the at the at the national level. He's been a governor. He's been the attorney general. He's been a prosecutor. The guy's never held a real job in his life. He's been a politician his entire life, and it, you can tell because he lies all the time. Doesn't stand for what he says he stands for. Runs as a Republican when he, when the primary came up, got eighty two percent of the vote by by. Noon, it was over, the primary, and by noon, the general election was over because he has name recognition, and most Republicans are so lazy, stupid, and ill-informed. They don't get up off their ass to vote in a primary, number one. Number two, when they do, they just vote for the name they know. Just check this guy. Now, this is the same guy years earlier in 2000, 2001. We were booing off stage because he wanted to mask us up and make us stand six feet apart and shut my business down and tell me I couldn't go to church. And he was really encouraging me to take the vaccine. So he booed him off stage in 20, 2021, 2022 comes around, 2023 comes around, we reelect this clown. That's our fault. That's not his fault. That's our fault. We had a viable candidate we could put up, somebody who was a true constitutionalist, a true Republican, a true conservative. But because this guy's got no party affiliation, he has no money, we vote for the name. All over the country, this occurs. We've got to take this back because if not, if we lose this time, we lose this election in 2024, and you can bet the the communists are out there stealing it in every possible way they can. They know they cannot win, you know, in the arena of ideas, in the arena of making people's lives better. They have to lie, cheat, steal, and commit violence to win. That's how they do it. That's what communists do. That's what all totalitarians do. Whether you want to call them fascist or communist, it really doesn't make any difference. The end result is the same. And fascists, right? The Nazis is who we're talking about when we talk about fascists almost always. The Nazis were socialist, the National Socialist Party of Germany. So they're both, and most people have a skewed perspective of the political spectrum. They've been taught because it, it's efficient for the system to teach you this way. The communists are on the left, right? So you got the, you got the communists on the left end of the spectrum, the Republicans on the right or the conservatives on the right. And in the middle, you've got democracy, right? That whole thing is wrong. On one end of the spectrum, whether you want to put it on the right or the left makes no difference to me, but we'll put it on the left just for shits and grins, is totalitarianism. I don't care what label you put on it. It's totalitarian collectivist ideology. In the middle is democracy, which is a horrible form of government. Our founders loathed the idea of democracy. Why? Because democracy was mob rule. 50 plus one, right? 51% of the people could force their will on the other 49%, right? And on the other end of the spectrum, is a Republican form of government, is freedom. So you've got totalitarianism one end, freedom on the other, this other odious form of government somewhere in the middle. But really what we're talking about is these two poles. Totalitarianism or freedom, Republican form of government, right? We are a republic, which means that the one person, so if it's 99 to one, the 99% cannot 
force the 1% to do anything. See, that's a Republican form of government. You do not lose your rights because you're on the losing side of an election, because you represent a minority position. You don't lose your rights. You retain them in total. That's a Republican form of government. It's representative. And those we send those representatives to Washington, to the state houses, to represent the will of the people. But if something happened, they, you know, you end up on this, the minority side in a republic, you don't lose your rights. They don't have the right to use government force, violence against you. And always remember this. As a veteran policeman for 30 years in a metropolitan police department and the commander of a police academy for 25 years for a local two-year college, I work with the law all the time. I taught the law all the time, constitutional law, criminal law. I taught these things. So I understand them very well. Anytime the government passes a law of any kind, what they're saying is they can use violence, lethal force against you to enforce it up to and including anything. So you think of the most minute offense you can think of, let's say jaywalking. Well, it's not the jaywalking that creates the problem, right? That's a minor offense. But if you resist the jaywalking, they can use violence to arrest you up into killing you if you don't want to show up for the summon. And I apologize for my buddy in the back. Amazon has just pulled up, so he's going to bark for a little while. So I'll end this very shortly. So our constitutional rights, that Fourth Amendment's critical. The other thing is um, our property rights are really important. There's a book I'm going to share with you the next time we're together that you should go get that talks about the Christian moorings to the Constitution and our founders. Right? And they were very serious about this. And then, of course, the Trump verdict is just another assault on that Fourth Amendment, saying that he has to pay this money. He, he committed no crime. There is no victim. There's no crime. But he's been found guilty of a crime. And now for him to, and this is in New York, for him to appeal it, he has to pay the entire fine before he can appeal it. Which means, and he is, yeah, he's a billionaire, maybe one to four billion, whatever, but he doesn't have that money in liquid. That money comes in the form of property and gold and other things. Okay. So for him to liquidate that, he has to liquidate his assets, put the money in this account, give it to the government, right? Thank you for listening to Radio Free America. Help us keep the torch of liberty burning bright by sharing the show with a friend or family member and by checking out our website at www.radiofreeamericapodcast.com. Also take a second and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, I'm Bill Parsons.